0: All right, hour two of the sports bash is here. It is 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget, watch the show live on our website, 97.3 ESPN.com. I see somebody who posted on the uh, Facebook stream said, I didn't know this was a thing. Well, it is a thing. You can watch the show live. Just go to our website, 97.3 ESPN.com. There's other ways you can consume it. You can go to Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. But the easiest thing to do is just go to the website, and right on the front page of the website, you'll see watch the sports bash. Click on that, and then that'll have the video player in it, and you can watch us right there. And then you can be a big part of the show each and every day, and you can watch us. And, yeah, you can watch us. That's what I got. It's good analysis. Yeah. What do you mean you can watch us? That's what uh, my friend said. What do you mean you can watch the show? What are you on TV? Kind of. I mean, who has TV anymore? Uh, My girlfriend's son's. They don't watch any TV. It's all just YouTube. That's crazy. It's all they watch. Like we have the, one of those smart TVs, you know, it has all the apps at the bottom and they go right to YouTube. They scroll right to YouTube. Now I still have cable. I have cable in my bedroom. I don't have cable in my living room. Well, what I do is I use
1: something where I have the Xfinity app on my, t- so I have cable, but I don't pay for all the boxes. I just use the Xfinity I don't app. think I could do that. No, it, it's still the same. You have the guide. You have everything. So it
0: looks exactly the same. I'm yeah. with you, though. but It's tougher. Yeah, I have cable in my bedroom. I don't have cable in the living room. Uh, we have YouTube TV, but they just watch YouTube. They don't watch. Like, the ratings for the Super Bowl were down. And said, yeah, because no one has cable. Everyone's watching. I watch the game, but I don't have cable. Yeah, I know. I hate seeing the ratings numbers. Who? The streaming numbers are up. The yeah. Numbers are up. yeah. So, uh, all right, let's bring Jason Fitz in. He's the host of... Spain and Fitz right here on 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, you can hear him uh, at 7 o'clock right here tonight on 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, he, like August, appears via the Boardwalk on the Hotline. Jason Fitz, welcome back, man. How you been?
2: Man, I'm great. And I heard what you guys were just talking about. Funny thing uh, that a lot of people don't realize. Before I left uh, the music business back in, like, let's say, 2016, we did a survey of how kids were consuming music and the number one way even back in 2016 that kids were consumer, consuming music more than all others combined was youtube like you know i grew up in an mtv generation well that's what kids are doing now with youtube they just make their playlists. they create their own mtv so for all of the spotify's and apple music conversations youtube has actually been you know at the forefront of it it's part of why i love working in digital for espn is because i there's a, a big part of me that believes that in five years that stuff will be everybody's important as what TV is now.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're doing the show now. You can watch the show. See, now you, we have a picture up. It just says on the phone, ESPN radio host. But a lot of people now watch our show live digital because that's you know we were just talking about that. You can watch our show on YouTube. I said, all these kids in our house, they don't go to cable. They don't go to YouTube. They go right to YouTube and watch everything. It's just crazy how, and that's where sports are going, is that everything is just digitally now.
2: Yeah, well, and and to that end, I mean, you know, Mike Golick Jr. and I hosted uh, an NFL pregame Super Bowl show, and uh, they, you know, they cut off the you know best moments in Super Bowl history. And last time I looked, that had about three million views digitally. (laughs) So, you know, you're absolutely right. Like you can pull these huge numbers with uh, digital content because there's so many people that, uh, you know, even if they're watching the game with their friend or they're watching the game at the house, they've we've reached a world where everybody has multiple devices at once. So. Even if they're not always paying attention, if they see on the, you know, whatever, whether it's on their phone, on Twitter, on YouTube, on their their phones or whatever, they just, they click in and they listen. And that's, it's amazing. It it makes outreach incredibly possible as opposed to what it was a few years ago. So I love that portion of it.
0: Well, let's get uh, down and dirty now because Carson Wentz's name is at the top of all the trade lists, but there are reports here locally that. Uh, that trade partners have been unwilling to meet the Eagles trade demands for Carson Wentz. How are you reading Jason Fitz about how Howie Roseman's playing this? You know, by the way, he's probably the most hated sports figure in the entire area here. So people want this guy gone. How is he playing this Wentz thing?
2: Well, the problem is, you know, this is a game of chicken constantly. Right. And, Uh, At some point, if you're the other organization, what I always tell everybody to do is like flip your fan hat to the opposite side. So let's say that all of a sudden Carson Wentz was the quarterback of the Washington football team. What do you think then his trade value would be? That gives you a much, uh, because it's so hard when we have our own fan hat, like as a Raiders fan, I'd love to sit there and say, Derek Carr's worth three first rounders. He's obviously not, but I've got my fan hat on. Right. So, you know, the, the problem here for the Eagles organization is, is the more public and loud this gets, the more everybody knows that a deal has to be done. The more everybody knows the deal has to be done, the more people are going to lessen what they're willing to give up in exchange for Carson Wentz. Because all the, all that's going to happen over time is this situation is going to get worse for Philly, and it's going to get worse for the team. So you're just going to bank if you're another GM that the toxic environment created by a very public trade demand and the quarterback that has a difficult contract situation is going to allow you to pay less. So I think one of the things everybody has to do is just throw away the Jared Goff uh, trade. It, it included the number ones, you know, and, and everybody's talking about how impactful that'll be for the Rams and using that as some Matt Stafford to the Rams is some witness test for everybody. But it, it's, it's really not. I mean, part of the reason that two number ones were given to Detroit was because they were offsetting the fact that Detroit was agreeing to take on Jared Goff's contract. So it wasn't a Goff contract trade or a Goff trade. I should say it was a Goff contract trade and they had to pay up to get that. So Uh, You know, in my mind, as much as I know Philly fans want Carson Wentz to be worth multiple number ones, I don't think he's going to be in this market because nothing favors the Eagles.
1: How do you compare Wentz's value to Sam Darnold, Deshaun Watson, Jimmy Garoppolo, the others that are available when you weigh the risk-reward situation?
2: Well, let me say this first and foremost. If I was the GM of the Eagles, I'd run it back for another year with Carson Wentz and see what a change in environment does. You've seen – anytime you've seen some level of greatness from a quarterback, I believe that then you have to to look at it and say, how do we repeat that? There's got to be a way. There's something magical in the air. How do we repeat it? We've seen Carson Wentz play at a really high level. So that's what I would do. Now, when you talk about his value – I mean, there is not a team in the league not named Kansas City or Tampa Bay that shouldn't be looking at Deshaun Watson. I mean, that's that's just fair. Deshaun Watson, to me, has already shown he's a top-five quarterback in the league on a trash organization. So, you know, if you told me that my beloved Raiders were going to give up their first-round picks for the next four years to get Deshaun Watson, I wouldn't even blink an eye. I mean, I'm all in for that. That's how good I think Deshaun is. So I put him in a separate tier. When you start talking about the rest of them, I mean, Wentz to me is better than Garoppolo. Uh, we we haven't even seen sustained greatness from Garoppolo. We've seen sustained eh from Garoppolo and that's about it. So you know, I, I, I would put Wentz in a much higher tier than Garoppolo and, and Philly fans change for the, like breaking up with your girlfriend just to try to date somebody else that might be crazy is not always the best thing in the world here. So you know, I, Garoppolo is not, he's not a supermodel. He's more like the crazy girl that you think you're going to fix. I, I'm i not into that. So, uh, you know, I, I think Wentz is at a higher tier than Garoppolo
0: by far. Uh, you're a Raiders fan. If Wentz was traded there, let's just say they swapped him for Carr, how would you feel?
2: I wouldn't be happy. Uh, you know, I think Carr's undervalued. Um, I really like, I mean, I like Wentz, but I think Carr's undervalued. Uh, just, that's that's change for the sake of change. You're just burying yourself into a new situation. So, you know, I think those are sort of the same head-scratching quarterbacks where you might have your guy, you might not have your guy, and they've got a lot of life left in front of them. You know, I I, I wouldn't love that move. But I'm also, admittedly, I'm a big Derek Carr fan. I think if Carr goes to the, the Colts, Carr's a Super Bowl contender. If Carr goes to the, the Patriots, he's a Super Bowl contender. He's just, uh, they the, the franchise of the Raiders and the Raiders fan base has been, let's say, less than enamored with him. But I don't think that's a reflection of Carr. I think that's the reflection of unrealistic standards. Like Raiders fans have forgotten about Jamarcus Russell, apparently.
0: Jason Fitz, uh, Spain to Fitz tonight, 7 to 9, 97.3 ESPN. And, um, all right, I want to get your take on the Super Bowl because I think you and Golic Jr. were talking about this the other night about having the officials' grades, like almost like PFF has for the players, doing that for the officials because that game was overtaken by the officiating, even though, I mean, it was a lopsided game, but, man, it felt like there was yellow flags flying from all angles.
2: Yeah, and I've been, you know, ever since I was a podcast nobody had ever heard of, I've been championing this idea. So maybe now it's starting to get a little momentum because Junior and, and Kirk Morrison both really liked it on the after show. Uh, yes, I think that we should have 100% when they, when they tell you at the beginning of a broadcast who the officiating crew is, underneath there should be a score. And, you know, for everybody that, that doesn't pay attention to this, the league grades officials every week on the job that they've done. And uh, through that process, that's how they select who works the Super Bowl. So that was, in their mind, the absolute all-star crew, the best-graded crew of the year. They had some calls that I thought were absolutely questionable, but we've learned to accept that a quarterback completing 70% of his passes is incredible, right? Which means we've learned to accept the fact that a quarterback incomplete 30% of the time is acceptable. I think we would have better understanding to the job of officiating if, in fact, at at the beginning of a game, they'd say, here's your crew, and by the way, this crew has scored at a, 87 this year and you know so you know that they've gotten 87 percent of their calls right and over time while that might be jarring in the beginning over time i think it would get everybody a much better understanding of what officials are doing that's good and bad uh, why not make that public so that we know and then you know obviously just like you know if you're a fan of let's say the jags you're probably going to get the worst broadcast team you're also going to get the worst officiating team and you'll see it at the beginning of the game and you'll know what to expect so you know, absolutely, I think the league should do it. And uh, the, the Super Bowl certainly was taken over by some calls that were questionable and, and and in some ways bad. And I don't think it necessarily changed the outcome of the game, but it's a, just a, another bad look for the league.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that it changed the outcome, but it definitely ruined it. Second quarter, all the flags, it it was a mess. But I, I do want to ask you, was Andy Reid's legacy hurt by this loss at all? Or is there somewhat of a asterisk next to this because of the offensive line play?
2: I think that there's a big like we have apologized more for this Super Bowl loss than we ever do for somebody that gets blown out in a Super Bowl. And I think that speaks to how much we respect not just Patrick Mahomes, but Andy Reid and, and how much the, the love child Eric the enemy has come for everybody. Everybody seems enamored with everything Chiefs. And I understand that they've looked so good. I picked them to win in a blowout. I was wrong. But uh, absolutely. I don't think that his legacy is hurt by this one. But I will say this. If this turns into a habit, I mean, we've seen seven of the eight quarters in the Super Bowls that Mahomes has played. He hasn't been spectacular. And I don't think that that's any reflection. There's context around it. He had no offensive line. But if they turn around and they don't get to another Super Bowl in the next year or two, or they suffer another loss like this, there will be a sharp and quick turn because whatever popularity and respect that Andy Reid has, Patrick Bones and Mahomes has more. And Reid will become the coach that's not getting enough out of Patrick Mahomes if he doesn't if he has another game like this in the Super Bowl. I mean, just like we look at Green Bay and say, how have you wasted Aaron Rodgers? There is now that that if you win two Super Bowls with Mahomes, that's never going to become a conversation around Andy Reid. But now that you're one and one with also an AFC championship game loss in there, man, he is teetering on the edge in a year of having people say, has he done enough with the best quarterback in the game?
0: All right, last one for Jason Fitz. Tonight it's uh Trey versus Luca. It's eleven and twelve versus eleven and fourteen. Yet ESPN, you guys have a run, a ticker at the top of the screen counting down when that game is going to air. Is that going over the top?
2: No, a thousand percent. <laughs> it how much money we've I, I, you know, hopefully my bosses are busy right now, but that's all because we've spent so much money on the NBA. We got to hype something, right? And and look, I I believe that Luka Doncic is such a special player it's going to be fun to watch his rise and it's going to be fun to watch him dominate in the NBA for a really long time. But that doesn't mean that we have to make meaningless games meaningful. I think that actually reduces the impact of truly important games. It's something that, you know, if I were the czar of the sports world, I would do much differently. I would actually stand up and, and say hey guys this game guy probably gonna stink these teams stink, but watch these two players because they're really good like a little honesty goes a long way
0: yeah that's tonight uh, on ESPN television at 7 30 and by the way they didn't make us plug that for Jason Fitz appearing today he did it because he wanted to and it was a good take from him and of course you can hear more tonight at seven o'clock with Spain and Fitz right here on 97.3 ESPN and that's uh the Sixers off tonight. They're out west. They'll play back here tomorrow. Uh, they got the nine o'clock game against a 10 o'clock game against the Blazers. We'll have that for you on 97.3. All right, Jay Fitz. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate you guys. Have a great day. All uh, right. He, like all guests appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. And um, yeah, I saw that today and I was like, dude, is that really necessary to do a countdown to Trey versus Luca? That's insane.
1: I'll be honest with you. That's Are you wild. watching that
0: tonight? Are you in?
1: No. Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Montreal Canadiens tonight. That game is going to be
0: insane. Insane. Josh says you have three TVs. That's not the point. Yeah. The point is which one are you paying most attention to? Anytime you ask a question regarding are you going to watch that game, yeah, I might check in, but it's not the one that I'm paying the most attention to. That's the difference. Leafs-Canadiens is going to be a phenomenal matchup. I'm all in on that one. All right. uh, Sports Bash Live. Don't forget, you can watch the show. Go to our website, 973esbn.com, and watch the show live. It is brought to you by Matt Black Kia. At Matt Black Kia, they want to get you approved today. That's Matt Black Kia on the Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor Township. Mike and Broads at Broads81 at Mike Gill Show. Download the free mobile app, get it on your phone, and watch the show on your phone. You ever watch uh, TV while you're driving? No, what? if they're gonna say on my phone, I
1: was gonna no, say no like yes. on your phone while you are driving. No, I don't watch the phone while I am driving.
0: Did oh. you want me to say yes? But well, I felt, I mean, sometimes like if they, like if a West Virginia game's on, I'll put on YouTube TV on my phone and have it on in the car, and I put the the sound through my Bluetooth.
1: Oh, that yeah, but I am not gonna put the phone on like my dashboard or anything. Well, no, like watching. I have
0: one of these things that hold my phone. Ah, see,
1: I don't have that. And okay, then I just
0: put the phone. Well, in that's
1: that. different. I can support that for sure.
0: I didn't know if you yeah, were so like, if you're driving around in the car, you can get the app on your phone, bring us up, and watch us. It's a hell of an idea. I like it. I like Paul Hudrick, and he's going to give us takeaways from last night's Sixers win while you were sleeping. He's got them now at 97.3 ESPN.com. All right, time now for Inside the Sixers with a win last night in Sacramento. That's four straight on the road there, Broads. It is uh, nice to see them winning road games now as well. Remember last year, it was just like a rite of passage. They were going to win every home game, but lose every road game.
1: Yeah, it's a- absolutely incredible how they keep pointing out late in the fourth quarters. What else is incredible, though, is UFC 258. That is up and coming. And DraftKings is giving you 100 to 1 odds that either fighter in the title fight will land a punch. That is outrageous. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use promo code 973 when you sign up. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only
0: gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, there he is. Paul Hudrick from 973ESPN.com. Inside the Sixers. Big win last night, Paul. And maybe get your opinion on this. I said at the beginning of the show, I thought it was one of their more impressive wins of the season. Broads was kind of eh. Uh, I thought it was
3: their best win of the season. Wow. Uh, cool. I really did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, listen, because I think, and I get it, it, you know, we all, myself included, complained about the fact that we have to stay up and watch basketball games at 10 o'clock at night. You know, we used um, to like that. How old are you, Hudrick? I am 36 years old. Wow, 36. So, so like, when you're
0: Broads' age, we used to love the 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah, game. sure. That was the best. No, and now it's like, oh, 10 man. o'clock games are the best when it's baseball. I no love way. it when it's no, eight, as
1: he's <laughs> Relax, cup of coffee, basketball.
0: You know, you're getting done around 12 30. Baseball, there is oh, no definitive I, even constant action, innings? too. Come on, yeah. 3 a.m.,
3: extra innings. Go ahead, continue. <laughs> no, but but yeah, so you know, we don't always get a chance to see some of these teams like the Kings. Listen, the Kings have been playing outstanding basketball. Uh, they had won seven of eight coming in. De'Aaron Fox was the Western Conference Player of the Week. You saw why the, the kid is great, he can really play. Um, And so I think that's what makes it impressive, too, is that the opponent on the road, West Coast, first game of a West Coast swing, Joel Embiid wasn't great for the first three quarters. Um, Neither was Tobias Harris. And so all of that factored in to stay to, to when you weren't didn't have your best that night for like for three quarters to then stay in the game and be in a position to, to to have that dominant fourth quarter. To me, all those factors, that to me, that makes it the most impressive when they've had this season. I, I thought the fourth quarter, and listen, they've been great in the fourth quarter all season long, but just the way that they put the clamps down, and that's the other thing. De'Aaron Fox has been, I just had Marshall Harris uh, on, on the Coming In for Landing podcast, and he talked about how great De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton have been in the fourth quarter for the Kings. The Sixers shut them both down in the fourth quarter. So to, to, when you factor in all that, to me, I, I think it was their best win of the season. Interesting. Uh yesterday
0: Yaron Weitzman was on for inside the Sixers and said the Sixers have been the best fourth quarter team in basketball. Statistically, they have been the best. You saw that last night. You saw them be the best team in the NBA because they took over that game in the fourth quarter. But what is it about what they did in the fourth quarter that led them to that win?
3: Just defense to me. I mean, they were just so much better on the defensive end, and obviously Thibel comes in, and I don't, I don't think we've talked enough about how great he has been defensively. I mean, I get it on the offensive end, he's giving you nothing, but defensively he has been unreal. You saw what he did to Fox. I mean, he shut Fox down, um, and he, you know there was no help. There was just him, man to man, just his ability to stay in front of Fox and not let him get to the spots on the floor he wanted to get to. That was huge. And then just their team defense, I thought, was exponentially better when you saw you know, the way they were helping, their rotations, the way Joel Embiid anchored things. Uh, I thought Shake Milton defensively on Buddy Heald, I thought he was great. That was one of his better defensive performances I've seen him as an NBA player have. So I think it was just collectively them, the defensive effort. Plus, I mean, the reality is shot luck is a thing in the NBA. The, the Kings shot the lights out in the first half, so it evened itself out a little bit in the second But the Sixers, you have to give them credit for really ramping it up on the defensive end. When you talk about them, I'm number one in the NBA defensive rating in the fourth quarter at like 98. I mean, typically for those who don't understand defensive rating, if you're below 100 in defensive rating, that is elite. They're at 98. No other team is below 100 in the NBA right now. So they are just clamping down in the fourth quarter, and that's a big reason for their success. When Matisse has nights like that, people scream that he might deserve more minutes, and I just wonder, would the
1: impact be as strong if he logged more minutes? Is it the fact that he gives you those 20 minutes in that spurt is kind of what changes because, okay, you have one defender on you, and then you get throw Matisse-Thibel for a little bit. It throws you out of funk, and then you throw someone else back on when Matisse goes to the bench or so. And you also got to remember that you're taking somebody else off the floor that might be able to help you offensively. So how do you answer that question Then when people say, huh, does he deserve more minutes?
3: I think he's in a good place with his minutes right now. Um, and I think w- what I like that Doc Rivers does that maybe Brett Brown didn't do is if a lineup is looking good, he runs with it. It doesn't matter who's on the floor. If they lineup is doing well, he'll run with it. Shake Milton was going to close that game out last night if he didn't get hurt. Uh, he, you know, Seth Curry had a great first half. Credit to Seth Curry because he kept him in the game in the first half because he was great. Um, and that was great to see. But in the second half, that lineup with um, Embiid, Simmons, Harris, and Shake Milton and Matisse Thybulle—that was the lineup that really did the job. That was the lineup that that took the game over and led them to the win. And uh, I think with Matisse, I do think there's a point you make, Broads, in the fact that showing teams different looks. I do think there is something there. I, I think you see Ben Simmons. You know, it, it's you see Ben Simmons, you see Dana Green, you see Matisse Thybulle. It's three different guys. They're all, you know, very in way, but it's a different look. And I think and doctor would the game. He said that Matisse Thibault was the better guy to handle Fox because Fox is so unique Um, with his, his, how quick he is. It is so hard to stay with him one-on-one. I'm not sure coming into the game. I'm not sure anyone could have done it, but Matisse Thibault did it. And to your point, bros, maybe the fact that he was fresh and he didn't get overextended and Fox had played so many minutes, maybe that allowed Matisse Theibel to have a little bit more energy at the end of the game that allowed him to bottle Fox up. So I think right now, to answer your question, I think Matisse Thibel is in a very good spot minutes-wise. And, you know, offensively, it's he, if he could ever just become a league-average three-point shooter, he could be a really dangerous player. As it is right now, though, I think he is in a, in a, in a sweet spot in Doc Rivers' rotation.
0: Paul Hudrick, uh, 97.3 ESPN.com. Check out the podcast coming in for a landing wherever you listen to podcasts. And his takeaways are up right now at 97.3 ESPN.com. And you wrote, Paul, this feels different. What feels different about this team in particular? I feel like, you know, we're like we talk a lot about, oh, it's the regular season. I only believe it when I see the playoffs. But are you starting
3: to believe more? Well, uh, for me, Mike, when I saw and I tweeted this out going into the fourth quarter, they were down three, they were down four, and I had tweeted, you know what? They're only down four. They haven't played great. If they can just dig deep and and you know and, and play well in the fourth quarter, they can steal this game. And that's exactly what they did. And you just felt like they could do it. Whereas in the past, all, again, all those factors on the road, a team that's red hot, uh, a player that's killing you. Uh, you know, and beads not carrying you, Tobias Harris off night, all of those things, and they overcame it all. And that's not something we saw this team do in, in recent years. And they've had there's been, I would say, at least a handful of games where you're watching them and you're thinking to yourself, there is no way last year's team, last year's version of this team, wins this game. And I think that's what's different. Like, is it it's just a feeling? And look, they're they're seven and five on the road. That's actually the best road record in the Eastern Conference right now. Uh, they didn't win their seventh row game. I think it's like 32 games into last season. So that's those little things are just different. And it's just it's a different feeling. There is a, a vibe that you feel like they are going to win. Whereas last year you were just kind of wondering, you know, OK, well, how are they going to blow this? Whereas now it's like, OK, how are they going to win this?
1: They scored 42 points, the Sixers did in the first quarter. What did you see happen for them to lose that lead in the second? The dribble penetration was definitely killer. Uh, but do you chalk this up to you're just playing the pace of the Kings play, and then once you dial into your own game in the second half, you, you close the door?
3: Yeah, I mean, it was clear. That the Kings' pace in the first half killed them. Uh, uh, De'Aaron Fox was pushing the ball up the floors, And they just they run, man. That's what they do. And uh, Tobias Harris told us after the game, he, they kept hearing – the Kings bench yelling, run, 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 run. The coaching staff say that. And they almost like took that personally in the second half. We're like, okay, well, no, you're not going to run that anymore. And, you know, they really stepped up the, the defense on that end, really got back better. And I think it, it's one of those deals where you can prepare for a transition team. You can prepare for the speed of guys like that, but you can only do so much because then once you get in a game, like no one's going to mimic what De'Aaron Fox does because only De'Aaron Fox can do it. So they had to see it in a game up close and get a feel for it and get in the game. Plus, you know, they're on the West coast. They're adjusting to that time. It's the start of a long road trip. So I think that was all a factor in the first half. And that led to them kind of, you know, I don't want to say a total sleepy start because you know, they they were clearly in the game. They were scoring a lot of points. They just weren't defending. So I think the second half, it was, and Doc Rivers said this too, it wasn't necessarily an adjustment. It was just, they started playing defense. And one of the key factors was, you know, getting back and. Really mitigating that fast break and really kind of slowing the Kings down, and you saw it—they scored 40 points in the second half. That's an unbelievable way. That's an unbelievable thing to do against a team, especially one that one that had been playing so well.
0: Yeah, uh, there's another thing that stood out to me last night, and you know, I, I don't know if this is something that Embiid was conscious of or he's just trying to do more of, but he had six assists, and a lot of them are cross-court three passes. I mean, he had one big late in the game, and. You know, I talked at the beginning of the show about there's things that Simmons do out there that I don't know that people are really even noticing. He just kind of standing directing traffic and people are like, Oh, they're playing four on five. And really, Ben is just kind of like, Hey, you go there, I'll do this. Like, he's almost, you know, the point person. But one of the things Ben does so well is he has this patience in deep in the paint to just I'll wait and wait until you just have to come at me and then I find you. I felt like and B was almost like, hey, I'm watching some Ben Simmons tape here. I'm going to draw defenders and boom. But I thought he did a really good job of noticing open guys, but waiting a little
3: longer last night. Yeah, I mean, that's really, Mike, that's been the story of the season to me is how uh, well, at least a, a part of it is how well he's handled those double teams all season long and that he is trusting his instinct and he's trusting his teammates to make those open looks. And I think that's a big part of his success this year. Um, because it gives teams a little apprehension when they do want to double team him. Um, especially if guys like Seth Curry, Shake Milton, Tobias Harris, if they're all making shots, that makes the team that makes teams extra hesitant. And I think that's allowed him to, to get a little bit more space for himself and, and operate around the basket and score more. So I I do think that's been, you know, we, we talked so much about how great he's been this season, how efficient he's been. And that's to me, that's as big a part of anything is him trusting his instincts, him almost inviting double teams and, you know, and to your point, being patient and finding his guys and just, you know, the fact that guy, he trusts the guys around him to hit those shots like that. That, that was Doc Rivers pointed out and said that was his favorite play of the game in the fourth quarter. And B gets double teamed. He finds Tobias Harris in the opposite corner, wide open. And Tobias Harris bangs home a three in a big spot too. I mean, that was the game was still very much in the balance at that point, And it was such a big spot to do it. So for him to have the wherewithal in that spot to do it, just speaks, Uh, volumes about where he is as a player and where he and how he is seeing the floor.
1: Yeah. I thought the fourth quarter, there was the stretch where the Kings had like 8,000 offensive rebounds in one possession. They missed a wide open three. And then it was Tobias with the three you talked about. Uh, Matisse Thybul with the block, and then Shake Milton with the three as well, and they kind of took it from there. But speaking of Tobias, this isn't the first time he had a strong fourth, and I just wonder, is it time to say this is Tobias? This is the Tobias Harris that we have this season. By the way, he played 41 minutes last night. Yeah, he keeps logging 40-plus yeah. constantly at this point, it feels.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's you know, without Mike Scott in the lineup and, you know, no true backup four, that's kind of what he's been doing. But also, Tobias has kind of been flourishing uh, at times with that all-bench lineup because he's the guy. He's the man on that lineup. So you're seeing that. But, yeah, I mean, he's just been – so far he's been outstanding. And I th- he, you have to just give docker like all the credit in the world for it. And Tobias, the big thing he talked about last night was getting to his spots. And that's something that he can do really well. Like, he's not the typical shot creator you would look at, you know, fourth quarter, take a guy off the dribble. And all, like, that's not his game. But because he's so big and strong and when he, they put a smaller defender on him, he just kind of gets to he gets to where he wants on the floor because of that, and then he just shoots over guys, and he's been almost automatic from from the mid range, and that's what you're seeing. If he gets if he gets to his left and he's you know within 20 feet of the basket and has a smaller defender on him, it's almost automatic he's going to score. And I think the fact that he's driving more, it's opening up that and it's it's giving him a little bit more space. And I think the the one thing that was that he talked about last night was just that horn set, which the horn set is basically two bigs on on each of the elbows and then two corners. And when he's in that and he hasn't be to his left and he's setting screens for him and just knocking guys out of the play, it just creates so much more space. And I think doc rivers, and again, to point to something that doc rivers has done well, that Brett Brown hasn't, I don't think Brett Brown did a very good job of utilizing Tobias Harris and putting him in the best spots to succeed. And you are seeing doc rivers do that every single night. So is he this guy, uh, you know, so far so good. We'll see. We're like a, what a third end of the season, and he has been that guy. Uh, but they need, if they want to achieve what they want to achieve, he needs to be this. He needs to be this all-star level, consistent player every single night. Last one for Paul
0: inside the Sixers, Paul Hudrick at Paul Hudrick. Follow him there. Listen to his podcast, coming in for a landing for more good Sixers conversation. What do you make of the rotation? How are you reading what we're seeing from the rotation? And no maxi get no minutes for max.
3: Yeah, it's tough because uh, I I'm a big Maxi guy and I I I like him in the lineup, but I I get that uh, I mean I guess you could theoretically some lineups maybe go a little bit smaller and use Maxi and Milton and Quirkmaas and Thibault at, at, you know and Dwight Howard obviously at the five, but I I think that hurts them a little bit because I think this their size is part of what makes them so good as much as they've gotten a little smaller this year compared to last year I still think. Their size is one of the big reasons why they're so good defensively because they're so tough and, they, you know, they rebound the ball so well and all that. But, uh, yeah, I, I think what Doc Rivers is doing, I, I, I'm i okay with it. Moss is a guy, he's like, he's so hot and cold, Korkmaz. I mean, you saw like the first half, he couldn't miss. And then the second half, I think he scored one point. So, uh, and then defensively, he's just, he, he, he's, um. so right now I'm um, Good with the rotation. I think Doc Rivers is letting it play out. And listen, things are going to happen. Uh, Shake Milton, you know, obviously tweaked his ankle a little bit. So maybe that opens up a spot for Maxey to play next. So it's not like it's the last we've seen of Tyrese Maxi. He'll get his chances. And I like the fact that I, it seems like every time he does, he's ready for it. Um, I do, you know, whether it's Mike Scott coming back or whether it's them – you know, finding somebody in, in, in the trade market. I would like to see guys play well. It makes the rotation – it makes you look like a genius for the guys you're playing when they're all playing well. So I think that's a part of it too. Well, we're enjoying it. They're of course, just uh, tonight they really have the night best. off. They're
0: back tomorrow night against the Portland Trailblazers. I predict a lot of points in that one. And then a fun one against the Suns on Saturday afternoon. We'll have all those games for you here. On 97.3 ESPN. He's Paul Hudrick. This is Inside the Sixers on the Sports Bash. And he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. All right, Paul. Take care, man. All right. Here he goes. Paul Hudrick, everybody. Here on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN.com. Hey, I want to tell you about my friends over at Bernie Robbins. They're having the crazy Cupid Valentine's Day sale. I've been telling you about it online at BernieRobbins.com slash Cupid. But now... It's open in the store. You can go in the store from today until uh, Friday for the first company-wide half-off sale in 15 years. Bernie Robbins has a special selection of Valentine's Day gifts on sale at up to 50% off with interest-free financing available. Gifts for your girlfriend or your wife this Valentine's Day. Necklaces, rings, bracelets, earrings, engagement rings, and select watches up to 50% off. Yeah, that's right. Guys, you could go check out a watch for yourself too. If you're the single guy and say, you know what, I gotta I got must get myself a Valentine's Day present. Got a little nice watch for 50% off. Men's watches with brand names you'll recognize, dress and sports styles, perfect time to save. On that engagement ring as well. See, bro, you didn't wait long enough. You should have waited for the 50% offset. Bernie Robbins Jewelers. Bernie Robbins offers online chat, virtual appointments, and schedule your in score appointments to cater to your individual shopping preference and comfort level. Check them out online. BernieRobbins.com slash or Head into the store for 50% off right now. This is the Sports Bash Live on 97.3ESPN and the free mobile app. Don't forget, you can watch the show live in its entirety, all four hours, live video at 97.3ESPN.com. Sports bash 97.3ESPN. Watch the show live on our website, 97.3ESPN.com. Michael Hunter Brody. As we take you till six o'clock tonight, don't forget, coming up, football at four, the latest. On where Carson Wentz could go. Are they overplaying their hand here? We'll ask Jeff Mosher coming up in 15 minutes. Want to dive into some headlines? Got a few pop up here. There's a very interesting day.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll start here. Because the New York Knicks actually just released a statement. So it looks like that they intend to host roughly 2,000 fans at every game beginning February 23rd. The Rangers will start February 26th against the Bruins. Now, I wouldn't care if this was Texas or some of these teams down south, but the fact that it's New Texas York. Texas
0: opened up to 1,500. Uh, Dallas, uh, the Mavericks. Yeah, yeah, night. yeah.
1: So the fact that this is New York, though, I think it holds more value, to me at least. They're, you know, they're opening it up to 10%. 10%, yeah. correct. Uh, just, how do you feel about this?
0: Uh, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm, Look, I'm getting to the point where I feel like is okay, like 20% is okay. I would almost say like 50%. They probably could do it where you space people out enough sitting in a section where, I don't know what 50%, whatever the percentage is where you could sit people like every three seats. Well, anyone who plans to attend must return a negative
1: COVID-19 test within 72 hours of the game. At the games, face coverings will be required along with temperature checks And there's mandatory social distance throughout, which is obvious. But you do have to have a negative test within 72 hours of going to the game. So
0: if you want to go to the game, if you know you're going to a game, you have to go get tested and provide that. It looks to be that way, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, at some point, there's not going to be a day where they just hit a button, flip a switch, and it's just going to be like, all right, everybody's allowed back. Like, I think it's going to be. Once they get these vaccines to like 70% of people. And at that point, they're just going to be like, all right, 70% of the people are vaccinated. Now it's up to you to make your decisions if you want to go places and do things.
1: I just find it interesting because the NBA had all these issues and then they kind of got through it. And now they're opening the door for maybe it possibly to to spark something again. Like, they just got through all those issues, and now it's, hey, let's have people all come in. And I understand why. It's a business and all. But it's almost like they're opening the door for maybe that to happen again, while the NHL right now is getting pounded with more and more and more. Yeah,
0: that's the weird part is that the NHL has this whole thing going on here in the Northeast, too. That's the thing. It's like you got the Devils, the Flyers, who else? Uh, you have uh, off the top of my
1: head. I, I There's don't... like
0: three teams Durso brought up yesterday that are all in this uh, northeast area that are all having problems with COVID, shutting down the schedule for just about all the teams in this, in this division here. But that being said, look. Yeah, it was the Capitals, the Flyers, the
1: okay. Devils.
0: Yeah, that Sabres. being said, like, I think we're at the point with a vaccine available. Now, it's not readily available, but where people can make that decision now. Hey, if I wanna be one of those 5,000, 10,000, I know somebody who went to the Super Bowl. They were, they were one of the 22,000 people there. And they said, look, we were so spread out. I mean, it was it was outside too, so that's a little different But from being inside. But I think we're at the point where, I think if you're five to 10,000 people inside the arena, you can make that decision. And I think the people who wanna go will make that decision. The problem is people will say, well, yeah, they get sick, then they get me sick. That whole thing is still a big concern for people. Think, but
1: yeah, I was just thinking, do you think that baseball is going to start the season with fans in the stands right from the jump? Not obviously, uh, not. A, a I'm pretty capacity.
0: sure that Philly's spring training, they're letting fans in. I don't think it's going to be a full house, but I think they're letting fans in. And I would imagine by the time April comes around, you might be at the position where if basketball starts doing it, they're outside. You might see baseball teams saying, all right, we're going to do 25%. That would be unbelievable. Are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. And and I'm okay with this, just to be clear. I was just throwing it out there that they just had issues, so is this the best idea? I do think, though, that the NBA All-Star game is a horrendous idea.
0: Yeah, I I mean, the players don't want to go. There's no reason to do it.
1: That is so dumb. That's all about the fan like that weekend is all about everything surrounding it that you can't do right now because of protocol so I don't see why we all know why they're doing it but come on you got to be smarter than that this league is the smartest of the four and this is what you're going to throw at us the players aren't going to proceed
0: do you there's think no why I mean there's just no reason to need it there's not a need for that game I agree with you you got one you want me yeah to I do it? uh do you see Todd McShay's latest mock draft I did Thoughts? I'm okay with Jamar Chase. Um, now, I, I had to recheck this because when I saw this, the first time I've seen him as the pick in a um, mock draft. I've seen Smith. I've seen Weddle. I've seen Parsons. I've seen Sertane. First time I've seen Jamar Chase in that spot. Now, keep in mind, he did not play last year. He opted out of the entire season. You okay with taking and so did Parsons, by the way, but are you okay taking a wide receiver who did not play at all last year? It would not bother me. It wouldn't bother you? Okay. No, it would not. Would it bother you? Um I wouldn't say it would bother me, but I would be I am kind of like the guy didn't play at all. Well, last with year. Waddle, you seem to be okay with Waddle before
1: and he didn't play. He played he didn't play because he of was injury. Hurt. But does that would that change if well, he didn't he, play he because he played
0: of... some games? He was practicing, he was out there with the team where Chase has just, he didn't practice with the team at all. He opted out and just focused on the draft. So he hasn't played a football game or been in a practice since 2019 when they played in the national championship game. And that was a
1: concern we kind of talked about all throughout the COVID-19 when it first all happened and there were no sports, is what does this mean for the NFL draft? What does this mean for people who are scouting? And they have to now look at these players who opt out. This was going to be the issue that we all looked at months and months ago, and now here it is. It's on us. So now these these people up top, not just the Eagles, I'm talking about in general, in sports, they're going to have to make these decisions based off of how they truly feel.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, they take Chase at six. Um, I didn't really read the whole mock draft. I just happened to see that they took him at number six. I can pull it up here. I have
1: no issues with any wide receiver, any out – if they go with the outside corner from Alabama, Sertan. Do you have
0: any of the receivers that you want more than the other?
1: I think Chase and Devontae Smith are in their own category. So, th- one
0: of those two would make me more satisfied than a waddle? He's got Lawrence one, Zach Wilson two, going to the Jets. Can you imagine the Jets? You're taking Zach Wilson at two with that Sam Donald. That means he probably 19. thinks Sam Donald's traded. Right. Um, He's got Carolina three making a trade and taking Trey Lance. <laughs> wow. Bridgewater's under contract for two more years there. Uh, he's got Justin Fields going four. He's got four quarterbacks going in a row. One, two, three, four. Josh, is that happening? No. All right. Sold the offensive tackle, going to the Bengals at five. So the first receiver on the board would go to the Eagles. They would have the chance to pick any of the three. And it and he's was
1: got him going chase. Mel Kuyper, he had what? Lawrence, and then he had both wide receivers going bang, bang pretty early there. So. It's funny how one person thinks it's going to be all four quarterbacks right from the jump, and then you have Mel Kuyper kind of going in another direction where it's more spaced out.
0: He's got Chase six, Devonta Smith seven, and Waddle eight. He's got them going boom, boom, boom. So we've got four quarterbacks going in a row and three wide receivers going in a row, and then Patrick Sertain. If I'm Denver at nine and I get Patrick Sertain, there I'm doing flips. Yep, no doubt about it. How about uh, Parsons? Where does he go in that list? All right, 10, Caleb Farley, who opted out. Kyle Pitts, the tight end, going to the Giants. That would be tough. Giants. That would be a nice landing spot for him, I think. Ingram dropped that pass against the Eagles, or the Eagles would have only won three games, and we'd be even higher up the list. Um, they've got Matt Mac Jones going 12 to the Bears. I'm not big on him. Uh, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern going 13 to the Chargers. Vera Tucker, the uh, offensive tackle. Going to the Vikings, Micah Parsons, linebacker, 15-2 New England.
1: Playing under Bill Belichick. Scary sight. Although I don't know what to think of that Patriots team anymore. I'm intrigued, though, to see how this all shapes up this entire draft. Uh, Just get someone who's going to impact this team. I don't care what position. You got so many holes. Find a position that you need to fix and go fix it.
0: You're not in draft mode yet?
1: Oh, I'm in draft mode, but I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm in draft mode. I mean, I'm thinking about it now. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in. I'm putting quarterback on the list, though. Well,
0: I said to Josh. I'm not writing that off, Gil. I'm not. Because I. since the first time I saw Chase, I said, correct me if I'm wrong, because he opted out this year, right? I'm, I'm thinking because he was, the year before, he had 20 touchdowns. He had 84 catches, like 1,800 yards and 20 touchdowns. Yeah, he was a stud. You're right. It was him and Justin Jefferson. They had like four guys there, but it was him and Jefferson were the, were the two guys there. And people forget about it because he didn't play this year. And I was thinking, wait, I was like, I, that guy had a monster year, but I don't remember him playing this year. I was like, correct me if I'm wrong. He opted out, right? And, and yeah, it, he was a pretty high-profile guy to opt out.
1: Yeah, he almost made it as if Justin Jefferson was the number two receiver. Well, and they <laughs> stunk
0: this year. Yes. Last year. Oh,
1: well, Mike, did they ever.
0: Hey, coming up, football at four with Jeff Mosher. So stick around for all the latest on Wentz and the NFL and the Eagles and all that good stuff. It's the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app. And don't forget, you can watch the show live on our website, 97.3 ESPN.com. we got a good crowd watching the show today. We appreciate all you guys watching the show. The Sports Bash is brought to you by a Merry Save More.